0: This is John Leonard, Third Degree's resident lower league expert. Third Degree, the podcast, is brought to you by Soccer 90. Soccer 90 is your source for FC Dallas, U.S. national team, and international club gear. Fresh FC Dallas, FC Barcelona, and Dortmund gear has arrived just this past week. Check out all of the new arrivals on Soccer90.com. Remember to use offer code THIRDDEGREE at checkout to receive 20% off your order. Some exclusions may apply.
1: Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to another episode number, please. 152. Of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi, me, Peter, this, Dan. Hi, Dan. Hi, this, Hi. Buzz. And this is Buzz.
2: Oh, I thought you were dissing me i no. Uh, sorry, no Ooh, oh, nice, was, nice. I thought you said diss Buzz I, was, I felt bad for a second No,
1: He's going to drop a diss track on Buzz That's yeah. terrible <laughs> You're everybody's hero, Buzz, how could we diss no, you?
2: I don't think that's true, but happy to be here Hope I can help the ball club <laughs> uh,
1: Alright, we'll 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 try this uh, We'll try this mount again uh, Your hero, my hero, everybody's <laughs> hero Buzz, editor, founder, third degree Hi Buzz, come in Buzz all right.
2: Hi guys, how, how's everyone doing today?
1: Oh, we were good when we ended up opening the mics before we hit the record button. Yeah. Yeah. We're still good. Still good. Still oh so very good, especially now that's right upon the moment we started recording this, all this Jerry Jones news started yeah. breaking. I mean, and I'm, <laughs> and I'm tickled to no end because that's yeah. very funny to me. I mean,
2: not what we cover, but man, it's going to be delicious.
1: <laughs> yeah. Do you know what the crazy
3: old- part is? That 25 year old woman turned out to be Brad Namdar.
2: <laughs> hey 25 years that's as long as I've been doing this covering FC Dallas stuff
1: well she's officially the um what would how would what would be the best way to do it she's officially the um bad luck charm that's kept them from winning the Super Bowl ever yeah, again
2: yeah we used to joke we used to call that a Hooters fun baby back when Chipper Jones was developing those things well
1: (laughs) goodness gracious uh okay i'm assuming every by the time somebody listens to this they'll be very aware of what we're talking about but it's brand new news for us in the last five minutes so yeah uh there you go okay uh buzz so here we are after week two of the new 2022 f c dallas football uh, football club dallas season uh and i gotta say after losing up in new england one nothing it's, it's one of those weird deals where that game feels better than the tie they got against Toronto the week before.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, if you're into the positivity of this season, uh, this offseason carrying into this season, 100%, this bad result in New England is a positive thing. You should feel good about this game. That was a better road performance than we've seen in years out of this club uh, they were able to find a way to be in the game, legitimately in the game. The PK is unfortunate. It happens. But they're there, and they had more opportunities than New England. So you're on the road against one of the best teams in the league. That's that's good. That's a positive step in a good direction for this club. I, they're not going to win the MLS Cup this year. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying that like, compared to some of the dog-awful games, on the road we've witnessed the last couple of years, this is remarkably better. And if it sounds like I'm really a beast, because I am with how much of a step forward that was.
1: All right, Dan, you wrote yet another excellent review of the game, uh, and I'm looking forward to the idea and the thought that maybe for the next, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes, we're gonna do nothing but shit on my or (laughs) Obreon. I
2: knew that was coming.
1: (laughs) Yeah, kind of deserved it, didn't he? He was awful. Oh my (laughs) God. (laughs) Thank God Alan Velasco is here because I swear if I never see Hader O'Brien in a Dallas jersey again, it'll be too soon.
3: So funny thing about that little takeaways thing, I wrote 1,400 words.
1: About 700 of those were just on Hader O'Brien. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, okay, because I know that a lot of people are new and a lot of people are learning. What is it specifically that we see that makes us all go, oh my God, please get him off the field?
3: Well, if it's not, his Forrest Gump runs out of the stadium, not really understanding what's going on. Um, <laughs> it's Forrest it's, it's Gump <laughs> runs. <laughs> he's a child. Um, there was a point in the game where even Steve Davis called him out. Uh, he's standing in a quote-unquote offside position for a, a throw-in. Obviously, you can't be offside. But then the ball doesn't go to him. So he kind of stands there and he just starts walking around. If he ran back five yards into an onside position he can contribute to the attack he can keep the ball up in in new england's third instead he kind of just stands there somebody sees him looking like he's ready for a pass like motioning that he wants the ball or that he should have got the ball from the throw in so they pass it to him and he just walks by it because he's offside lets it go help for a goal kick and it's like that's the sort of that's the sort of stuff that gets you frozen out of a team. Players are going to be like, "Well, I'm not going to pass to him. He's a liability." There are other times he's diving uh, in the box, and yeah, there was a there was an instance at the end of the game. He's on the yellow card. He dives in the box about ten about forty seconds later, He dives again. The thing is, he's he's too busy sitting on the floor complaining to not notice that Nanu is trying to keep the play alive and win the ball back. Uh, ball, you know, immediately comes down the other end. They were kind of lucky that. That entire right side got bailed out by the fact that New England just couldn't put a couple of passes together on what could have been a you know a last minute breakaway to make it 2 0. It's just you know, between that and arguing at the referee about absolutely nothing, he's just spending too much time doing negative things that aren't about the game itself. He's had two yellow cards in two games, he's had one foul in those two games, and that one foul was well, nothing. I mean, it was uh, it was the one given advantage on Andrew Farrell, and he then uh, actually held on to his legs. And if the ref's back hadn't have been turned, would have got a yellow card before the yellow card.
1: Buzz. So here's the thing: what is the worst part of O'Brien's uh, Well, let me say this. I find this all very weird because one of my favorite things I tend to like about players are players who try really hard or put out a lot of effort. And I don't think we could ever, other than uh, Dan's excellent example of being caught offside because you were being lazy. Because I think that's that's almost unlike him in many ways. Because if there's a guy that appears to want to run and put out the effort, it's Obreon. But what other than, so what is the worst part of his game? Is it the fact that he can't pass very well? Is it that he doesn't know what runs to make? Is it that his skill level just doesn't appear to be up to snuff? I, I'm not really sure what part of his game is the one that I find most maddening.
2: Well, for me, the most maddening part is the um, the diving and the shenanigans and the, uh, the stuff that's getting the yellow cards and the not backing off the distance. It's the histrionics is what, for me, is the most maddening. You know. If you have a guy who's making decisions you don't like, you can work on him you know, teaching to get him to go to do what you want. If he doesn't play the defense, you want to do it. You can work with him to play the right kind of defense. Most guys that get to this level can take some level of coaching and adapt their game. They're not robots, right? They're not, they're not unautonomous. So the, the part that gets him in trouble was the first half of last year with all the diving you remember. And so once he figured all that out and sort of put his head down, then he was perfectly acceptable over the back half. Well, the start of this season, all that nonsense is back. And so, you know, maybe he's trying to overdo it in the sense of like trying to make an impression or something. You know, new coach, he knows some players are coming in that could take away some playing time. You know, so he's lost his comfort, perhaps. I'm I'm sort of just guessing in the dark as to what's going on with the guy. But you know, he proved back in the back end of last season that he could be a serviceable player. That player is not here right now. <laughs> maybe <laughs> it's because he's on the wrong side of the field, possibly. You know, so maybe he's mad about that. Uh, it's it's hard to really put your finger on exactly what it is. You know, but it's it's that it's the mental side that's such an aggravation. And, and there's actually something I want to talk about with this coach later that it's going to come up that is not going to be good for somebody who doesn't isn't mentally with it. <laughs> you know, in terms of the concepts here.
1: Well, I thought Dan made a really good point in his his uh, uh in his review of the game, talking about what Nico is going to have to prove as a coach, which uh, and I'll let you explain it dan, but it's it's like how do you deal with a player like Obreon?
3: Yeah, we've talked before about how good Oscar Pereira was at uh you know at managing his players on, on like a, a man management level, not just a tactical level um as I'd mentioned in it, uh, there was a practice I was at one time, they're doing corner drills. Kellen Acosta couldn't couldn't clear the first man for a couple of attempts. Puppy just strolls over casually. Well, not casually. He calmly stroll, scrolls over. Then he just starts screaming obscenities at, at Kellen. Kind of gives him that little, like, nudge out of the way, puts the ball down on the corner arc, takes a pinpoint perfect corner, turns around, hugs him, and then just walks back. Kellen <laughs> hits every single corner perfectly after that. Like, he knew how to treat every player, whereas Buzz has said it before, you know, players switch off, switched off with Lucci, they found him a bit too preachy, a bit too, like, wants to be a friend, or, a, you know, that school teacher type relationship, not a professional soccer coach. This is where Nico really has to assert himself as, I'm the coach, you're the player.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a frustrating uh, deal, Buzz, and I guess what it leads me into is something we talked about in the last couple of uh, podcasts and reviewing performances about Jesus and, you know, how how much Paul Areola and whoever's playing on the other side of the field, how their performances are so critical in how we're going to judge Jesus as a player at the end of this season.
2: Yeah, it's it's unlikely. It seems to me that Jesus is going to bag twenty. You know, th- this is the season where you're going to need all three frontline guys to be relatively productive. Uh, they all they all have similar profiles in terms of the kind of numbers they put up, both goals and assists. None of them are really high assists or really high goals guys. So if if one of those things is off. It's going to make the rest of them kind of off because then you can sort of move as a defense, you can more focus on the other two guys that are more dangerous. So, part of the process, and I know you hate that for this team in terms of this individual season, is going to be figuring out how those three pieces all work together and figuring out how those guys need to play together. And we, we've beaten to the ground, too, the concept of that the team floated, which was that a lot of the acquisitions are initially you're going to be about the style of play and playing the way the coach wants to play. And I think O'Brien doesn't fit that style. So that may be part of why he's panicking as well. I I, That's why I look at it as a player who's in fear of losing playing time and losing his position, basically, you know, and losing his chance to progress his career, which he basically is if he gets frozen out here, as Dan put it. So it's definitely a mess. It's definitely not working on that side. Areola looks good on the other side. I mean, you can look at the whole team. Like, all the success against New England was down the right, was Cervania through Areola and not Paxton to – Obreon.
1: Um, you mentioned this in your, you, you mentioned how it was working on the right and not the left in your instant react, your instant reaction video buzz. Yeah. And so my question is, is that issue on the left strictly an Obreon issue or is Paxton, uh, culpable in any way?
2: I think it's a combination of, uh, it's, I don't know that Paxton's culpable, but it's a, it's an interaction between the two is part of it. So, you know, it's not a hundred percent on one guy when it's, when it's a problem it definitely i think is more on O'Brien than it is on Paxton you know but you could just as easily say that if Paxton can't find the guy some of that's on paxton um, the most obvious way that it is uh, you can read the 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 disconnect over there is that uh Cervania and Ariola uh, as i mentioned in my instant reaction both had five shot creating actions and i and the other side the guys had i think O'Brien had one or something like that and Paxton maybe had two so Paxton did a lot of heavy lifting and did a lot of great things in the game, but it's not, and this has always been a little bit of a problem with Paxton. It's not coming to fruition in terms of getting and creating points and chances and goals. You know, some of that is on him. You know, we 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 need him to be De Bruyne. We've made that that comparison many times. And, and in this team, that's true. You know, you it's hard to look to Brandon Servania to be that guy. Brandon's more of a traditional deep, you know, eight. Although we've seen him pop up into the box a lot, quite successfully, and Paxton is not, so I, I still put it more on O'Brien, But Paxton definitely could be doing more. I I don't want to say overall, but more in that final third, getting into the box. I think he could final ball could be a little bit better there from him.
1: Um. Uh, so other. Uh, so what else? in comparison to the Toronto game, because when I think about the Toronto game, I think about how much the team struggled, and I thought, well, maybe Toronto's not as bad as I thought they were. And then I watched them get trounced by Red Bull a week later in Toronto. Um, And so I'm trying to find the positives about what was really good about Dallas's game in New England last Saturday.
2: Well, one of the small changes was that because New England was playing a narrow diamond, um, Dallas was looking to – Bring their outside backs forward a little bit more than they had against Toronto, and that helped create more opportunities. I think, particularly, you saw a lot of the play was coming out wide. Brandon, in particular, I thought was coming too wide most of the time. Uh, so some of that is a reaction of just another game together in this new system. Some of it was a little bit of a reaction of the way the opponent was choosing to play. You know, so I, it's hard to really pinpoint exactly. Somebody asked me this today was like, what do they need to do better? And I'm like, well, a lot of it is just playing in the system more, you know, in practice, they're still working on team concepts and group movement and group think and group responsibility, you know, so some of it is just playing in, we are talking about just two games of a regular season, you know, and guys are getting more comfortable, they're learning each other. A lot of it is Jesus getting more comfortable with the way he needs to play in this particular system. I think he came back less in this game, and that was helpful. I think Dallas in general got into the box more and created a little more opportunities, particularly on the road. That's really good. So um, it's not anything specific. Just continue to work at this system and get it down.
1: Dan, can I uh, go ahead and anoint Marco Farfan as an outstanding deal for this club or not? Can I go ahead and do that now? Absolutely. Is he not a badass?
3: Oh, he's, he's quality. I mean, I, he, the way he was getting forward, uh, yeah, we, we kind of critiqued him through uh, preseason in that first game. of He was kind of hitting a wall, but uh, he was end-to-end in, in this game, uh, kind of making up for... Places that Paxton had missed, honestly, and and uh, O'Brien had gone walkabout on. Uh, particularly when they did uh, eventually uh, switch over, and and O'Brien did a little bit on the right, he was uh, definitely getting forward well. Defensively, fantastic, uh, especially when you're dealing with a two-striker system, and then you know a player like Carlos Heel just behind them. Um, yeah, I think he's been a great
1: signing, honestly. Uh, Buzz, are you in agreement on that?
2: Oh yeah. Uh, you know, I think part of the reason why he was able to get forward better was because O'Brien and Paxton both over shifted to the middle. Dallas's heat map was very lopsided to the right, you know, and that allowed Farfan to have uh, and, uh, more space. And, and as that coach told me was because of the, the narrow diamond, they had looked to activate those outside backs more and Farfan was the, one of the, the biggest um, uh, 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 gainers in terms of offensive ability from that. And also consider that um, I'm pretty sure that Leggett was on that side for them, um, and yeah. De La Garza on the other side was is a weak spot, which is why Dallas had more luck down the right. I think. So, uh, you know, Leggett is a quality player. Regardless of people, people that our national team nut boys think about him, you know, they, that guy can play. So, there's, there's, they did a good job. You know, New England did not have very many chances, and you're talking about an MVP pl- caliber player on the other end. Who was shifting out right heavily? I don't know if you noticed that. He shifted to his right excessively because he could left foot some balls back in. And LeJet's over there too. And that's all Farfan's territory. And I thought they did a really nice job out there.
1: Uh, and so in the back, did, anything that really stood out for you in terms of uh, other than Farfan defensively for the team against New England?
2: Well, not, this is not quite the back, but I thought Edwin Surreal was phenomenal. He was my man of the match. Um, you know, again, he's marking Carlos Gilles, who's one of the best. Players in this league, MVP, you know, he's a guy that had uh, something like 60 uh, key passes last year, and and he was held to just two in this game, and one of those was after they took Edwin out, and, you know, that's a remarkable performance against a guy that good. Like, if you listen to the Revs broadcast like I did, they were raving about Gilles and how great he is, and then they were even talking about, in the first half, they mentioned multiple times how... All of Jill's contacts touches were him tra- coming back to midfield to try and find the ball and going away from goal instead of towards it. And the Dallas was in and that. To me, that's Edwin, you know, turning him and making him have to receive and go back to find it like that. So I thought Edwin in particular was phenomenal. You know, again there's a progression quality of his game that he's working on. But I think it was Steve Davis that pointed out that Edwin had like the most progressive passes in that game or something. So, you know, he's, he's improving in that capacity. And I I think really, honestly, with Edwin, you're watching the emergence of a guy who's going to be solve all your problems at the six going forward. I I didn't think he was going to be that ready, but he's really looking like the real deal for me right now.
3: He's uh, really stepping in there. He's uh, actually, I mean, he's leading the team with completed passes into the final third and most touches in the middle. Of the field across the two games. He's uh, all the things that we kind of said. Hey,
1: he needs to do this. He's he's genuinely doing that. So, Buzz, uh, if I if if you look at the New England game and you want to take a critical eye to it, it is and and this also gets back into the Toronto game a little bit as well, which is the creation of opportunities and real big chance moments. And I I feel like if there's something the team's really struggling to uh, put out. So far in two games, and, and not that we have a giant sample to do this, but if I am worried about something, and maybe this is all tied in part to Obreon's performances as well, is I'm just not a hundred percent sure I quite yet see how Nico's system is going to consistently create chances.
2: Yeah, I, that's the thing is I don't know that it really does. Um, you know, it, it's not like he sat down with anybody and and like laid out here's exactly how we're gonna play but he's talked to me a little bit about the idea of this mid sort of territory, um, this mid block sort of territory and how they need to be smart about pressing. They're not going to high press all the time. They're going to per- press strategically. And he's, he was mentioned the other day about Jesus, you know, working overworking himself. And the reason they went to the four, four, two late in the new England game was because that Jesus had done so much hard work. They wanted to put a second striker in there and sort of, let him not have to do quite as much of that kind of thing late, you know? And so the idea, I think, as, as we're, as we're learning mostly by watching is this uh, and I think it's partially related to the weather here, honestly, um, is this idea that you're going to control the pace of the game and you're going to keep it slow and you're going to keep the opportunities kind of limited for both teams. And as you saw in the new England game, that's why they're in that game, right? Cause they're limiting new England's opportunities. And then when Dallas does get the ball, all the emphasis in training we're seeing so far is about, you know, alacrity of ball movement, quickness getting forward, not sort of dilly-dallying around and being aggressive and getting forward ahead and getting some opportunities. The trick, of course, is that you have to take them when they come then. You you can't, if you're not going to have a high volume of opportunities, then you have to be more efficient about your opportunities. And you remember that the coach has talked a lot in reference to Jesus about what a clinical finisher he is. So, again, that comes back to the idea of, hey, Sue's learning the position and and being in the right spots to convert some of these goals. And guys can't afford to be missing on opportunities. So I think volume of opportunities is not something to be looking for this year. You're going to be looking for control of the pace of the game, wisdom of when to go and when not to go, not overworking yourself so that late in games you can go. Uh, This is a concept we're going to come back to, I think, when we talk about training again later. This intelligence inside the game is a big concept this year
1: from this coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that also makes me think of that moment when Jesus had an opportunity to tie the game. He you know, started a play, uh, made a pass, made a great run into the box, and had a clean shot on goal, and he blew it over the top. Kid, you're making two million bucks a year. You got to at least put those dirt those those on frame. You can't be blowing those over the top. And and those are the moments where I think we're all gonna sit around and, and you know really start to put pen to paper on uh, on how this is working out.
2: Yeah, efficiency of finishing will be a thing to watch because if if it is ending up like I believe it's going, which is that you will see less opportunities created than um, you might and some of the days of dominant possession, not Lucci dominant possession where they didn't get forward, but the dominant possession where they did get forward. Um, I, I think you're going to have to look for that kind of efficiency. It's like if you get three chances, you need to score one. In a way, that was Pepe's hallmark, was his scoring efficiency. So Jesus is going to have to be able to bring that kind of game because if he's if he's only scoring one out of five or six, that's not anywhere near good enough. It's got to be more like one out of three and really great players are even more than that. The top end players in the world, if you give them a chance, they're burying it. I'm sure Lewandowski's numbers are way right. better than one in three, <laughs> you know. Uh, so that's going to be a thing to watch. And you have to look also to it, how the service comes. Like one of the services that came into Jesus, I remember, was slightly behind him. You know, he was kind of on a near post angle and it came sort of behind him. When, and I think Steve remarked that if it had been in front of him, he would have... Put it away, you know, that may have been the Toronto game that I'm thinking of, but, you know, they're, they're still trying to get on the same page offensively, I think. So we're, there's some growing pains there, but um, it's definitely something to watch for is that that ratio of goal to shot opportunity because you're going to have to be much more ruthless if you're not going to get 20 shots a game. If you're only going to get 12, you got to be on
1: point. So the other thing I wanted to talk about, Buzz, is that as we got into the game, it's pretty clear that uh, Nico is trying to save legs and minutes and stuff. But man, it really began to expose the thinness of this roster, and um, and what he has at his availability to put out on the field to chase a one-zero deficit.
2: Yeah, r- right now there's not a lot of offensive punch available, and even in the midfield, they don't. The only option is seeking the subling. So um, offensively they're, they're thin guys are not in camp yet or not healthy or not really making themselves eligible. Um, you know, there still are some pieces on the bottom of the roster that you necessarily can't count on, but that's, that's the way it's going to be when you're going to have, you know, these developmental kind of players on the first team roster. Uh, you know, that's, that's managing the roster and being able to get through these games is, is part of the scenario, you know, right now, even at striker, you know, Hara wasn't healthy for that game. Your third choice guy is on the bench and Benny Regich, but that's not really like a guy I can go to to get a goal. You know, you're looking at like a, a Khalil El-Makur or a, or a, a Shun as your really only offensive threats you have, and neither one of them is really a strikery offensive threat. So uh, not a lot of options right now. But, uh, I, I, they don't seem to be certainly really panicking about results or anything, though I – I, I have an impression that they're not so worried about wins and losses yet. <laughs> you know, right. I mean, at some yeah. point you got to be, but at the I think they're trying to take a big picture view right now with this club.
1: Yeah, and and Zebling in particular, I just want to take a moment on because after the Toronto game, uh, I was a little. Um... I don't know perplexed and like wow that's really what they got although i will say in new england kid showed a little bit of uh, guile and i was somewhat impressed with what he was at least able to do in the short amount of time he was out on the field not that it turned into anything but he wasn't a disaster how about that
2: yeah he's got some qualities that are interesting i mean mls did a thing about you know, about the, like, if you, if you extrapolate his numbers over 90, like the amount of defenders beaten and this other kind of thing are all really exciting, which is true. They really are, but it's a tiny, small sample size. And he's coming into games when they're chasing it and the other team's defending heavily, you know. So some of that's misleading. But uh there's a ton of qualities there that are really interesting and that you like in terms of a prospect. But the idea that, like, your best attacking prospect or your backup eight prospect is a prospect, that there is no... Uh, you know, veteran kind of guy that you can go to in a lot of these spots. Like with Frank O'Hara missing, there's no veteran striker to come in. You know, with, with, there's no veteran midfielder you can bring in. There's no Acosta here anymore that you can come off the bench if or or start if you need be, you know. So uh, there's definitely some deficiencies and some holes. You know, I think, in fact, I think they went to Kenyon late in that game because he is a little bit more of a progressive player than Edwin. He can bring a little bit more of the dribble, pass some guys and get into that box kind of vibe. You know they brought him in trying to chase that game, and when they went to the four-four-two to, to a more traditional two-way mid there, you know next to Brandon. So, you know, uh, he's doing what he can with what he has. There's again, this team's got a little bit of a roster deficiency, but I think they're trying to dig out of a roster misfires over the last couple of years, which you know it's not as bad as Inter Miami or anything, but they definitely have a couple of things that they probably regret if they would ever admit it.
1: Okay, well, um, anything else about the one zero loss in New England we want to talk about?
2: Uh, yeah, I think it's important to note the increased minutes for Nanu. You know, you can see them pushing him towards being a more game ready player. You know, bringing him in earlier. It'll be the question will be, and when we get to the other end, like is he, is he close to being ready to come in? Not that I thought Ima was poor by any means, but when you when you see a guy whose minutes are going up each week. And when you see a guy coming in who's more of a prime of his career kind of player, you don't bring in a guy like that to just sit on the bench. Not likely, you know. You want to see him challenged to actually start, uh, which would be good for Ima too to have a challenge. So that's something to note, I think.
3: Especially, uh, you know, Niko's talked about building him up to ninety minutes fit, and also that he's, you know, he is someone that can kind of contribute in the midfield. I think how wide on the right Brandon gets at times. That's that's really where Nani. Uh, wants to sit. So we saw it in that first game um, when he kind of went into the midfield, did the little swap with Siki at the wing and and then eventually they took uh, Emma off and he, and he slotted back into right back. Having that kind of versatility down the right when you don't have a real backup midfielder or a whole lot of spark on on that side can uh, can really help.
2: Yeah, he's one of the guys that allows you to make that four four two 2 switch if, if and when you do want to. He's one that can allow that to happen.
1: All right. Well, Buzz, we did hear that uh, Wednesday practices have been closed and there is a a hell to pay for that. But you did go out yesterday, Tuesday to practice and you did get to talk to the coach. I did. Would you care to share with the group, please, sir?
2: Yeah. One of the things I've I've noticed, I think, going on is that the reliance on or the emphasis he puts on um, soccer intelligence. Uh, And a lot of the drills that they do, particularly early in training, are designed to not just be like, get the feet going and get the legs going, but also get the brain going and that what they have complicated patterns in them. And then they mid flow, they just reverse the patterns, which is not as easy as you would think when you've been going around a circle doing these cones and flags and passes and jumping hurdles. And all of a sudden it's like, turn that around and go the other way. You know, it, it gets the brain going. So I, I asked them a little bit about emotional intelligence, emotional intelligence, excuse me, soccer intelligence, And how important that was. And and he, I think he deflected a little bit saying, well, you know, it's a big deal in in every sport, but he definitely put, putting a lot of emphasis on that. You know, we're seeing talk from him about like the formation changes or the patience in midfield and the wisdom of midfield, Um, you know, knowing how to control the game, knowing when to press and then when not to press. And I've heard discussions from a couple of different people now that they've really upped the level of prep, uh, film prep, scouting prep, books on players, breaking downs of rosters. Now every coach has always done that, but apparently this coaching staff goes to a higher level of detail and depth and emphasis than we've perhaps seen before here. Uh, whether that's a good or a bad thing, I, I don't know. I, I right now I think it's a good thing. In mid-August, will I still think it's a good thing? Uh, when people are burning out and getting sick of it, you know, that's going to be a question, but Definitely, that emotional. not I keep, I keep, my brain keeps putting that on order. The soccer intelligence uh, is being asked for more here uh, now, and I think that's a really good thing. And then beyond that, uh, I, the a couple other things we talked about were, you know, why he had gone to the four four two and if he was happy with it, and it, and it has been different now in each game while he's done it. You know, the, the talking. This one was about getting some help in there next to Jesus um and, and also uh, just an observation uh, that I wanted to make related to wisdom is it no to me it looks notable and I'm hoping it's not because he's hurting that Paxson has dialed it back a little bit in training and I don't know whether he's not going so crazy this year and so I I don't know whether they've actually gotten to him or whether he's already feeling I hope it's not the second one. I hope it's they finally have reached him to dial it back a little bit, because I think that would be a big deal (laughs) if he would do that.
1: Well, it was funny. Uh, (laughs) Matt Doyle even commented about uh, Paxton today and how maybe he felt like uh, Paxton's performance in the first half was a little bit more tentative uh, and maybe that he was more like himself in the second half. He also asked the question if it had anything to do with playing on turf. Yeah,
2: that's entirely possible. Paxton's certainly smart enough to know that. Now, in the past, when I've asked Paxton about turf, he says that you know they grew up training on it in the academy, so he's fine with it. But you know, if you if you're worried about getting pounded and hit, I can definitely see how that would be an, an issue for you. Might I didn't I didn't particularly think Paxton was that tentative. Um, you know, him not flying studs up and crashing into people is maybe just him maturing rather than like a, a level of like. I'm worried about getting hurt. Uh, we'll see. Well, the time will tell a little bit. I need to see a little bit more, but I, it definitely seems like to me like passing is not trying to run through walls anymore in training, which is, which is a really good uh, thing. I did also get to see a couple of new players in town, which was kind of cool.
1: Well, that's where I was leading to because Dan and I are all antsy pantsy to hear your <laughs> official first look, um, uh, you know, quick review of one Alan Velasco.
2: Oh, I thought you were going to ask me about the center back. <laughs> Uh, Joshua Quinones. No? Okay, Alan Velasco. Yeah.
1: That's borderline Um, dad joke right there. Yeah, it is
2: borderline dad joke. Uh, Listen, so here's the caveat, is that on Tuesday they did not do a full field game environment. So I didn't see that. But I saw half field and I saw lots of little drills. And what I can tell you is the skill set is legit. It's phenomenal. The guy's passing is on point. He's a wizard on the ball. All that stuff is there. It's all tremendous, you know. It's as advertised in terms of the base skill set. Now, the thing we won't know, of course, is will he get? What's it going to look like in a big, full field game? But um, it, about as impressive as a first viewing is I can recall in terms of like, holy cow, this kid's got some skill. You know, the, the ball glued to the feet kind of vibe. Uh, super exciting. You can see why somebody paid a lot of money for him, even just in a small environment like this. And he seems to be getting along with everybody really well already. A Lots of guys speak Spanish, of course. So, you know, it's a quick integration, I think.
1: All right, Dan, uh, you haven't been out to practice and seen the kid, have you? No, I haven't been out since, uh, since the season started. Okay, all right. Well, I just wanted to see if you uh, could throw it. So, Buzz, is it likely we are going to see him on Saturday against Nashville, or do you have any sense about that yet?
2: Well, the coach said uh, in the media interview that some, that some quotes popped out where he said, basically, that he felt that Velasco had really adapted and and was ready to contribute. I'm going to go further. I think he will start. You think he'll start? Yeah, I do. It's a combination of Obreon was crap. (laughs) It's a combination of it's a home game. Yeah. And some things I witnessed in training, the Jesus areola uh, Velasco combo played together in every single drill the entire day. Now it is Tuesday. So let's not get crazy about this. But if I'm going to flip a coin or if I'm going to make a bet, I'm going to bet that Velasco starts. Partially because when you pay $7 million for a dude, you don't mess around. You play him. So
1: And he looks fit and ready to go?
2: He looks super fit. You know, when Coach said when he first got here that, you know, it had been since December, since he'd played. And so there was a little bit of, you know, game sharpness. Well, that was two weeks ago, you know. And this kid is young uh he is skilled and he looks to me like he's ready to go so um that's my predict- that's my one change prediction i have another one that i'm th- contemplating but i'm for sure predicting that velasco is going to start that's what my guts telling me
1: all right, hold on to that. Hold on to the other uh, start prediction here in a second. Why don't you tell us about the center back and the and any other new players you may have seen before we move to lineups?
2: Yeah, uh, one small thing. Parker's training with North Texas. Uh, I assume it's because he's going to play with them a little bit coming up, you know, to sort of get some scrimmage action. Since He's not likely to play soon for the first team. Uh, the center back. Um Decent. He he basically split time with Bartlett. You know, that's where he is on the roster right now. Uh, he played a lot um, with Martinez and played a little bit with Hedges as combinations uh, in training. You know, they're obviously trying to work him with the two veteran guys to get sort of dialed in on shape and positioning and that kind of stuff. Uh, when he was doing the cones and the flags, he moved pretty well. Uh, Passing was not bad. You know, definitely a tiny bit shorter than the other guys, but not shrimpy short like you know, just five eleven instead of six feet tall. Not not remarkably short. So you know, decent first impression. But you're you're also talking about a, a really young kid. So it's not like he's a, tw- a prime. you know, there are some kids that are young like Velasco that are these. Just crazy, like, wow. But then there's other kids who you're like, okay, I see some pieces there. You know, it's early days. He definitely, I think it may have even been his first day or close to his first day because there was lots of like looking around, like, what are we doing? Where are we going? You know, right, like a yeah. little bit of like, I have no idea where I am, <laughs> you know? Oh no, I go in, you know, that kind of, you know,
1: where's so, the stapler, you yeah, know, where's, where's the st- coffee, yeah. uh, coffee and yeah. coffee machine. What, and all what's that, your name right?
2: again? You know, <laughs> yeah, that kind right. of you know. So, uh, you know, so a couple of things there that I think, okay, yeah, that's, that's, that's worth having here. That's worth a look. So I, I'm not, I'm not disappointed in him by any means.
1: Okay, this is the other thing that i I meant to bring up when we started talking about Velasco because uh, one of the things that suddenly dawned on me and I'm not the first to figure this out I, I've seen other people mention it since then was in when he arrived, there was a photo that came out of him standing next to paul Ariella Paul Ariella polynips polynips paul as Dan has branded him, and I hope he makes a shirt soon about that um <laughs> Is that, Air, is that Areola is actually taller than Velasco, and Areola is shorter than Jesus or Paxton. Yeah. Is it unfair to say that Dallas probably has the shortest squad in the league?
2: Yeah, the fact that you can find quality players shorter than Paxton is amazing, because Paxton is tiny, because there's no way he's as tall as they claim he is. Uh, Jesus is short, Obreon is short, Shun is short, You know, Brandon's an ebb winner right around six feet or just under, but, and other than your center backs, you know, yeah, this is one of the shortest teams I've ever seen. Okay. (laughs) But that, and that in some
1: (laughs) ways does create a problem for Nico as a coach because the set pieces crossing the ball in that suddenly now becomes an issue.
2: Yeah. uh, When at the Toronto game, I was actually laughing about this with, um, somebody I was talking to about, I can't remember who it was when, when I was looking at the Dallas team lined up for the national anthem and the two center backs were at the front of the line and then the, the, the goalie. And then it was way down here, like at their waist, the other seven guys were all five foot five tiny little dudes. It really was remarkable. So, you know, this is not a team that's going to score a lot of set, a lot of set piece goals. I don't think unless Hedges gets a couple, but yeah, it's you have to wonder about uh, corner defending with a team this small. Um, you you hate to take off quality players just because they're small. But when everybody is small, then you start to worry if you can actually do it. Uh, there's a couple of guys that are a little shorter that have good ups that can defend a little bit in that regard. And then you just got to hope your keeper and your center backs can can clean up enough stuff because it definitely is a it definitely was a concern that I noted. We'll see how it plays out.
1: Okay. Dan, you have any height issue uh, comments or thoughts you'd like to throw in there?
3: Well, they're not as short as Michael Barrios, so there's that. <laughs> they might uh, be.
1: Okay. I don't know, man. <laughs> uh, Michael well. Barrios. I mean, Barrios is the smallest guy I, th- I ever remember on this team, but I'm not sure Velasco and Ariola are that much taller than he is.
3: Yeah, Ariola's like five. Five, I think. Uh, Barrios was five two. Pax isn't as short as. I mean, he he's definitely I, had is a. growth five spurt.
1: seven five eight? Right.
2: Man, I don't Oops. think he's five seven. Really? <laughs> yeah.
1: Paxton. Paxton. I don't Paxton's.
3: I think he's he's about. To,
1: he's a little bit taller than he. You know. I, I, look, I'm six-two, and when I'm standing near Paxton, I don't get the sense that he's incredibly short. Like I used to with Barrios or Diaz or um, or you know, anytime I've ever been close to you know somebody like Areola or Velasco, I, I they they just immediately come across as height challenge to me but pa- yeah. Paxton doesn't uh, Paxton you know.
3: and especially Jesus I mean they're like they're late 18 years they definitely both shot up a couple inches
1: yeah and again the only reason why this is an issue is that all of them are short it's not like you know yeah I mean the only people that aren't really short on this team are hedges Martinez uh Tafari and then you're kind of lucky that Surreal and Brandon aren't, you know, kind of like average, you know, yeah. un- just under six, you know, they're 5'10", maybe.
2: Yeah, 5'10", 5'11", something like that.
1: Uh, yeah. Which okay. mean, that's around
3: where Jesus is, too. Say that again?
1: That's around where Jesus is, too.
2: Yeah. Jesus isn't tiny. If Thomas were here, he's like 6'1". <laughs> that would help. But,
3: <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, if, oh, it's what you kind of, you know, you're getting into is how many times FC Dallas is crossing the ball and he's in these two games and grant there's a lot of low crosses, but anything into the box, you kind of want to have someone with a bit of presence, a bit of strength about them to kind of free up.
2: Yeah. I I agree with you, Peter, like any one individual player, I don't care how tall they are, but when nine players are five foot five, then you have an, have an issue with no height at all. Admittedly, Frank O'Hara has enough height and air quality that like late in the game, he's going to be your in the box trying to get on the head of stuff. But even he's not huge, you know, Not like Hedges 6'4", or whatever he is. yeah.
1: Okay. All right, well, let's talk about Saturday. The game is uh, Saturday evening. Nashville comes to town after winning in Seattle. By the way, they're on their extended road trip because their stadium is uh, getting its uh, final construction and completion. So they're on an extended road trip. This will be their third straight. They won in Seattle first, kind of surprising there. Then they got a 1-1 draw against Minnesota last week. Buzz, what are we looking at in terms of your other surprise starting uh, for the lineup on Saturday?
2: Yeah, well, you, you guys know uh, historically that the Nationals given Dallas a lot of problems, and this I think that this new uh, more patient sort of system will actually benefit to that. Um, the other change I think that is possible is the one that we were talking about actually earlier was is Nanu. Um, You know, he he definitely has a little bit of a presence about him in training. Um, he's not as tight and clinical on the ball as I would quite like, but you can, as I said, you can see them elevating the minutes with him. And there's a question at which you at a point, which you'll think, okay, he's ready to give me 45 or maybe 50, but do you make a swap at halftime or you just start with him and let him go like 55, 60, 65 and see where it is and then switch to Ema. So it, it just, or whoever you're going to bring in just to switch things up. So it just becomes a question of how much do you really want to get him in? You know, is he ready to give you more than a half of soccer? Uh, And I think there's a point at which they will want to start him just to sort of see what they have and how it goes in the system. You know, to bring over a player like that and then just never start him doesn't make any sense to me. Like, unless you just think he's absolutely garbage, and I don't think that. So uh, I, I think maybe not in this game, but... Um, you might see him come in as early as halftime or even get that 60 minute run. Cause he's close to being able to go that long. I think, um, you know, he is relatively fit now, you know, it's not, he's been here, what almost a month now. So it's like, there's, there's plenty there for me. I think that he's getting close to that start. Don't think it's going to be this one, but I think it could be soon.
1: Okay. Uh, I'm assuming that your middle three are still going to be Paxton, Brandon and Serio, correct?
2: I think so. Um, there were some weird combos in training. Uh, again, it's just Tuesday, so I'm not reading much into it. Um, the The one interesting item in related to the midfield is that Khalil El Madkour worked a lot uh, centrally to uh, on Monday on Tuesday, excuse me, filling in as the other sort of person in in the because you need two sets of three to play any kind of half field or larger drill. So Khalil works a lot as that eight position in the same left side as Paxton. So you, you, I, I did ask coach about it specifically, and he talked about Khalil being comfortable in there, comfortable on the ball. He does give you a little more height, you know, if you were worried about having a little bit of that in there at some point in the game. Now, certainly he wouldn't start in front of Paxton unless Paxton is, is actually feeling a little something or something, you know, then maybe you might see him. Because I would start him over with Siki at this point if you needed him. I don't think there's going to be a change. I, I think Edwin, Brandon, and, and short of Paxton being banged up and not telling anybody, I think it's got to be Edwin, Brandon, and Paxton still. Because the whole point is to play those three guys in, right? Yes, you can't play them 34 games. you got to find somebody that can start in there for them. I don't know that it would be game three. <laughs> you would do that. <laughs> not against Nashville.
1: <laughs> right, yeah. Um, okay, so everything else is pretty much status quo, you think?
2: I can't imagine any changes, you know, pause hasn't done anything to deserve a benching. You know, Martinez has been, yeah,
1: I think he's fine. Really good.
2: Yeah. yeah. You know I mean? It's not, I, I I wouldn't say Martinez has been great, but he's not been smoked. You know, the hedges Martinez combo, the thing that would worry me would be like balls over the top, but their mid block is a low is just low enough that I don't think that's really a worry. I, now Nashville's got a really speedy striker. Um, Oh, his brain's name's leaking out the bottom of my head. I can't think of it. Um, He's really good, you know. So maybe there's a little bit of worry there, and like you might try and bring on Tefari to counter that pace. But um, the reason I think it's Martinez comes back to the idea, which I've been pounding on all podcasts, which is the soccer intelligence idea. Martinez has played at a really high level for a long time, not Barcelona, but still Spain, high level Spanish play knows this kind of system, and I think the coach is leaning hard into that game reading and intelligence early with him and hedges. So I don't think that that will change, you know, and so far he's okay. been, he's been fine. Right. I mean, not bad. Right. Uh, yeah, he's not a... not great, but I mean, you know, that's like, that was one of the, one of the things that triggered me to ask about this, the soccer intelligence thing of the coach was like, he's leaning hard into players that have that, you know, like so far as not getting a sniff, you know,
1: yeah, I get it. I don't know, man. Martinez makes me extremely nervous. I, he, yeah, just, fair. I, he feels like a guy that's going to get turned and, and screwed into the ground at any moment. I don't, Dan, how do you feel about him? Uh,
3: my main concern with Martinez is he's kind of filling that role as the aggressive center back, kind of pushing forward into the almost that sixth space, um, which you've got Randall Leal, you've got Haney Muktai, you've got CJ Sapong. You know, all pretty quick guys who can get in behind that space and, and you know, force either force hedges over into a position that he's not entirely comfortable with or just occupy the space between uh or or pull Farfan over from the left and, and leave him open there. Um and then, you know, sometimes there's a little bit of clumsy play. Uh so yeah, that it could definitely be cleaner with him there, although we, we haven't seen anything too dangerous.
1: Okay, Buzz. If in fact Velasco starts or even ends up playing in the game, what do you think fans should expect to see out of him? And does his introduction into the team change anything about how Nico's system works or doesn't work?
2: Oh well, it'll be a better fit for the system than Obreon. It should make the left side with Paxton work a whole lot better um, conceptually because he plays the way that um, Ariola plays on the other side, style wise. He doesn't play like they don't play like O'Brien does, which is the bad fit. Um, (laughs) In a way, let's make an analogy. This is one of the things I asked him about was like, is it fair for us to have all pointed to the national team as a concept for how you want to play? And he said, well, you know, sort of on a big picture level. Sure. But, you know, everybody adapts their system to the profiles of who they actually have on their roster. And we have different players in the national team. But for the case of this analogy, for the sake of this analogy, think of the way uh, when Wea plays on the wing for the national team, he's very different than Pulisic or Gio Reyna or Aronson, right? There's a very different style there. O'Brien is the same difference in style. If you when you bring in Velasco, you're going to get a match style with Areola that's going to create the the same sort of diagonal cutting and un, inside out underneath overlaps that that Areola gives you on the right. You're going to get that on the left, whereas O'Brien's giving you this vertical, you know, try and sort of get in the way that Wea does. Now I, I don't think overruns anywhere near the way the player way is, and I'm not criticizing Wea. I'm just saying you can see the different kind of style mismatch there with him.
1: No, I think that's a yeah. great analogy.
2: So, you know, Ariel, if Velasco does indeed start, which as I said, I think he will, you know, it's going to make the system work better on the offensive end, particularly in the final third. When Haysu checks out of those gaps, you're going to have players that are going to hit that gap from both sides. Now. And I think that it'll also work better when he's coming back working with Paxton because Velasco is more of an on ball combination kind of player. Like you get with Brandon and Ariel on the other side, you're going to it with Paxton Velasco. So uh, I think it should make the system work better. Now the question will be like, how integrated is he team conceptually with these guys? Is he on the same page? And from what I saw in training, I think he really is. So I'm hopeful that it's going to look quite good uh, when you see it.
1: Okay. Um, so that is Saturday night, man. I'm hoping, uh, I, uh, the media credential stuff works out so that I can go to the game. Cause I would like to see this thing in person. So I'm trying to hammer that out. Um, uh, let's see what else, anything else about this particular game or any other FC Dallas news we need to interject here into the pod.
2: I have a tiny piece of North Texas news, but not, uh, not, so not We're FGL, not at so. the North Texas yeah.
1: Soccer Club portion of the pod yet, Buzz. I'm, I'm, I'm
2: trying to think. I'm de- I'm delaying while I think about what, what, okay. what else I want You're to. You're vamping. You. We vamping. Call it vamping. It yes. vamping. Okay, sorry. I'm vamping. Uh, I don't think uh, I have anything. Oh, okay. Frank O'Hara is back in training, so he should be good to go.
1: Okay. Should awesome. Should retake
2: his place on the bench. I would bet.
1: Dan, do we need to vamp while you come up with content? No. I when you said vamp, I was
3: like, is that the same as for Jazzel? uh no Uh, i mean this is what we rely on you for peter
1: (laughs) to keep us in order
2: oh my goodness
1: I never imagined in my wildest dreams that uh, Dan would bring up genital jewelry for uh, yeah. uh, the podcast. Okay, all right.
2: That was not in the rundown on ground
1: It was not written in yeah. Crown. No, Dan just came up with that on his own. Yeah. So Wait, That wasn't Crown. No. Direct, direct all <laughs> emails to Dan Crook yeah. at gmail.com. Okay, uh, let's see. Uh, All right, so now is officially buzz, the North Texas Soccer Club portion of the podcast.
2: Right, so the the story came out this week. This is a revisit of a story that hit a couple months ago, which is that um, Bayern Munich has signed, apparently, a guy from Colombia that was part of their Search Around the World reality show. And they're going to immediately turn around and loan him to FC Dallas, is what all the reports said. But of course they're out of international spots. What they really meant was North Texas soccer club. So he's going to 19 years old. He's going to come and play for North Texas, apparently not confirmed by anybody here domestically yet, but uh, it's the second time it's come up and a bunch of German sport build and all this kind of stuff picked it up. So I'm sure it's legit. Uh, The second thing is this. I mentioned earlier, Parker and Blaine Farrier are both with North Texas right now uh, to get lots of training minutes and play. And the last thing is that uh, they have to be in roster compliance on March 18th. So they have, nine days left before roster compliance day for them to start their season.
1: Okay. I was going to ask you, is there any movement on a center midfielder for the FC Dallas portion of the team? No, but I forgot to ask that question earlier. No.
2: Well, no. listen, I've said that Blaine Ferry is going to be part of the mix and coach flat out told me that blame was going to be with them when he's not, you know, when he's not in 18, he'd go to North Texas. Well, people have said, why isn't he signed? Well, he is signed. He's under contract to North Texas whenever you actually need him on the FC Dallas roster, you just loan him up like they did with uh, Kaiser Gomez last year. So it's not a complicated process. Uh, I had hoped they would go ahead and do it and then loan him back to North Texas. But uh, I guess apparently they're waiting until they actually need it to happen. So that's where Blaine is on that. Uh, The kids had a phenomenal spring. I actually would like to see him uh, on the bench and get some minutes, but um, you know,
1: Mm. I'm not in charge. So. But no, but no rumors, no noise, Nothing. Dan. You haven't heard anything about them stringing along nope. a center midfielder from Ecuador or anything like that.
2: I thought Joe Corona would have been perfect, but uh, he's probably expensive. So
1: okay, um, okay. So the other news this week was out of the blue, uh, and other related area soccer news. We're getting and we're getting another or the return of an indoor soccer team.
2: Yeah, the Mesquite Outlaws are back for the next. They're in the middle of their season with a major arena soccer league, MASL. Yeah, so yeah, in. uh, they're coming back next season. So, uh, that's listen, that I think that's while at that level, nothing is a great organization these days. I think it's good to have that team here. I think they provide a little something different. Tattoo's coaching for them again, which is great seeing him involved in soccer. So, so does Nick that Stavro, mean?
1: Does that mean all the success the sidekicks are having this year because they got all their players back from the, that they <laughs> lost to the outlaws the previous yeah. season? Now we're going to lose them all again because they're all going to go back to Tattoo next year and play in Mesquite?
2: Yeah, because uh, there's there's a couple of guys that have basically not been playing, sort of waiting for Tattoo to come back. And Lovegrove Love and I think Daniel Jones are both with the kicks, and I bet they'll go back to Mesquite. You know, those that's guys crazy. like playing for Tattoo. You know, I mean, I, I hear good things about the, the, the Dallas Psychics coach. I don't have any qualms about him. The problem guy is gone from that organization, but that's not the same as playing for Tattoo. You know, I, I think a lot of those guys, half the team probably will go back to playing well, for them.
1: All right. The, the the problem guy isn't gone. He's still the owner. He's just not oh, coaching the team anymore. Oh, yeah. I, I
2: thought he sold out the ownership too. I, I don't, I don't oh, think I, so. Okay, no, I, I think he's
1: still involved in the ownership well, group. Don't, don't listen to me then, but. Um, okay. And then don't forget that, uh, Denton and DKSC play on the 22nd, uh, in the first round of the U S open cup up in Denton and that, uh, tickets are available. I, isn't that on the 22nd?
2: That sounds right in my head. So I'll say yes.
1: Yeah. Uh, always go through the third degree Twitter account. Cause I know buzz always retweets that stuff from Denton. Uh, and yeah. The I just tweeted a thing about
2: tickets for them today for that game. So you look at my timeline. You'll see it.
1: Okay. Um, all right. So our temperature, our overall uh, temperature on all things FC Dallas is running mediocre, hot, cold. How, yeah. how are you feeling? Hmm? Yeah. Tepid. 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 Oh, yeah. Dan is tepid. Okay, that's a very, very yeah. English thing to say. So yeah. he's kind of lukewarm. Tea, cup of tea. Yeah. Um, Buzz, are you a hot cup of coffee? What oh, are you? No, no,
2: no, no. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm lukewarm. Also, I am better than I was a couple of weeks ago. I really think, the, uh, honestly, the showing on the road, I thought, said a lot about the mentality right now. Uh, like apparently a uh, coach told me that Hedges even said something to coach about that's the best road mentality we've had in years. So I think that was for sure visible. Um, and, and to me, that says a lot about where they are as a group right now. And that's really, really positive. And it means that you have a chance to get a few road points, which is the difference between making the playoffs and not making the playoffs, probably. Because you should always be able to perform fairly well at home.
1: Okay. All right. Anything else we need to cover in this particular episode of third degree, the podcast?
2: No, I don't, I don't think so. You know, if you like what we do, sign up for the Patreon.
1: Yeah. Hop on the discord, kick yeah. me in the nuts over things that I have nothing to do with. <laughs> Let's stop it. Um, um, uh, Dan, you got anything you want to talk about? Nah, but Poppy check, make some good music, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Pappy check for the good music. <laughs> Uh, Dan, thank you for your participation, you get a a gold star for your forehead and your effort. Thank you for
3: keeping us in order, Um, I now live with a gold star on my forehead, awesome.
1: <laughs> Buzz, thanks for talking to the coach this week. That's always great insight. Yeah. I look for. Hopefully, are you going to be there Saturday?
2: Uh, no, I will not be. But I will say that um, the the conversations with the coach are getting better. He is opening up oh. a little bit more. So yeah. it's baby steps, but I'm feeling like we're developing a little bit of a dialogue. So uh, you know, he now definitely knows who I am at least, and is willing to talk about concepts with me that are you know a little more brainier sort of talk soccer concepts. So feeling yeah, good about I- that.
1: All right, good. I, and I know I was trying to dismount, but it just dawned on me. We haven't gotten an update. Have you actually met Ka yet? Uh, No. No. Uh-uh. They haven't figured out how to get you and him yeah. in the same place at the same time. Yeah, mm. but I'll
2: tell you what, though. Everybody Without around physical the, contact.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah.
2: Everybody around the organization says to me all the time, have you met Ka yet? And I'm like, no. They're like, man. Everybody talks about how great that guy is. And I'm like, yeah, I know (laughs) they
1: do. I mean, everybody
2: is like the whole organization is like, dude, this guy's awesome. And I'm like, I know
1: i know somebody tweeted a maybe the club did tweeted a photo of him uh clearly just giving somebody an earful of good soccer education yeah in a very mentory kind of way and it just it just the photo made you like oh that guy's awesome yeah like, you have no idea what he's saying he could be telling him whatever you just the, the photo just made you just reeked of goodness yeah. it was awesome so i, I can't remember. wait i hope to get to meet him soon yeah.
2: Yeah. That picture reminded me of Oscar with like, he was holding the kid's head in his hands. Kind of, I was like, that's a very Oscar-y kind of, (laughs) Uh, Oh, here's one tiny thing about North Texas. They've had a whole bunch of Academy kids in camp. They've now trimmed that list down. I'm not going to go into who all and who isn't until they actually have a real roster. And then I'll tell you about everybody that actually makes it. But I I do have a list on my side, of everyone that's been in camp, but I'm not going to break it all down until it's something's more official, but they are starting to trim down to get to that final roster. And there's, the kids from the academy that do make it in there are, this is how FC Dallas works, right? You bring guys up to a level they're not comfortable and see how they react. And the guys right. that are going to stick are the ones that are going to react properly, and that's going to be good signs for them. Now, there's nothing wrong if you're 15, 16 years old, and you're not ready for 22, 23-year-old adults yet. It's fine if you're not. You know, you could still be a legitimate pro, but the ones that really are, that's super exciting. So whatever, whoever actually makes it is, gets a little mark next to their name, of course, in my little notebook, because that's really impressive.
0: Hi, this is John Leonard again. Third Degree, the podcast, has been brought to you by Soccer 90. New soccer gear has been landing daily, including fresh Adidas FC Dallas tees. Check out all of the new arrivals on Soccer90.com. Use code THIRDDEGREE at checkout to receive 20% off your order. Some exclusions may apply. Okay. All right,
1: let me uh, resume with the dismount. Buzz, thank you for all of that information and goodness and all your hard work, sir.
2: You're welcome. Thanks for hosting for us.
1: Well, as always, I love to do it. And thank you, FC Dallas Curious Fan. Hopefully, we'll speak to you next week on a victory episode of Third Degree, the podcast. the
3: hope one. This is weird. Third Degree, the Third Degree never Podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree
0: never Third degree, the third degree never can. Third degree, third degree never care.